Hey, and thanks for tuning in. At Northgate, we're passionate about helping people become who God purposed them to be. We hope that this message encourages and blesses you today. Stay tuned after for more ways to connect. Hi. Hi. Good morning. Oh, it has been a morning. Uh, good worship today, huh? And uh, you should have come last hour because I lost my notes. It was very interesting. Uh, but I have them now. And we are, uh, it's, it's good to be together. Uh, if we haven't met, welcome. Uh, my name is Steve Perkins, I am one of the pastors, and it's really good to have you here. We are continuing our series today, Strong, and we are talking about vision and leadership. In particular, uh, we're talking about how to live our lives under the leadership of Jesus Christ, which is why we're here. And uh, also how to lead others, because all of us do lead others. I want to talk today specifically about how we compromise in Christ when we shouldn't. Because a lot of leaders these days, I'm sure you agree, are guilty of compromise. A middle-aged man uh, wanted a boat more than anything, and while his wife kept refusing, mid-course in the middle of his midlife crisis, he went ahead and bought a boat anyway. Tell you what, he told her, in the spirit of compromise, honey, why don't you name the boat? Being a good sport, she accepted about a week later when her husband went to the dock for his maiden voyage, he found this name painted on the side of the boat for sale. <laughs> Will, our worship leader, told me that joke. <laughs> Jane Welch famously said in the 19th century, when talking about marriage, learn the wisdom of compromise, for it is better to bend a little than to break. And while that's true when it comes to marriage, and while I think that is good advice in different circumstances in life, it is not always good advice when it comes to a relationship with God, when it comes to living under the leadership of Christ. So in Christ, like I said, compromise can get in the way. It can prevent us as leaders from becoming the people God purposed us to be. I, I think about the church in Pergamum. You can read about that church in the book of Revelation chapter 2. The people in that church stay true to Jesus at some level, like we stay true to Jesus at some level, but at the same time, they also begin to compromise. It's, it's what we might call a sin of tolerance, a sort of have your cake and eat it too philosophy. And that's how many of us operate these days. We love Jesus, but at the same time, we are compromised in our relationship with Jesus. He, he isn't leading. We are leading. We want to go to church when we get around to it. And I congratulate you for coming out on this weekend. We most certainly want to go to heaven. No question there. But at the same time, if we're honest, we want to do whatever we want to do, whatever we want to do it. We're, we're torn. On one hand, we, we stand up for the truth, but on the other, we lie when it's convenient. We ask for forgiveness, but then we refuse to forgive. 
compromise and we tell ourselves the same thing every time God will understand Joshua told himself the same thing Joshua the people of Israel they lived 3,000 years ago thereabouts having won two battles as they were now entering the promised land of Israel they had won two battles against the cities of Jericho and Ai and now their future sites were set on more battles and Israel's enemies were not at all excited about Joshua's Leadership. They were not at all excited about Israel's prospects. They didn't want to see Israel succeed. They wanted to see her fail. And the fastest way to get her to fail is to compromise. L listen to me. Listen. Satan doesn't want you to become the person God purposed you to be. Satan doesn't want you to lead well. I, I'm going to go out on a limb, and given what happened last hour, it's pandemonium. <laughs> Satan doesn't want you to hear this message. Because he doesn't want you to be a good leader. He wants you to be a bad leader. And again, every one of us leads something. You, you know that. Satan hates you. If God's mission is to give life and to give it abundantly satan's mission is to steal and to kill and to destroy and while he can't take you out altogether because you belong to christ he can make you an incredibly ineffective leader and he can make you an incredibly ineffective christ follower in this world and the devil i've found can be very deceptive when it comes to compromise and he rarely goes big you know he starts small he subtly draws us from the things of God back to the things of this world. For example, very rarely in my experience does he try to get us to deny the Bible altogether. No, he's more content to get us to compromise different parts of the Bible. Well, I believe this idea, but not this one. In doing so, what, what he does, what Satan does, is keep just, he tempts us to keep just a little corner of our lives for ourselves where God doesn't have leadership think about your own life if you're like me you've sinned of course you have in some seasons you have sinned more than others maybe you're in that season now and maybe your life is falling apart maybe you've reached a breaking point maybe maybe not yet but trace it back will you it started with a compromise didn't it? With one small compromise, which then led eventually to that bigger compromise. Maybe it started with stealing office supplies at work. We've all done it. Well, before you know it, one thing leads to the next, and now you're stealing money. And I know that seems far-fetched. How, how, you know, how does stealing a pen, you know, have to, what does that have to do with stealing money? But ask anyone who's embezzled money, they will tell you it started with a pen. They will. Maybe there's a pornography addiction in play. One of the reasons I think maybe Satan doesn't want us to hear this message before, because lots hooked on pornography in the church, men and women. And believe me when I say, I do not want anyone in this room who finds themselves in that situation to feel shame I don't want to shame you. I want to help you. I want us all to help one another. 
And I want to remind you, Jesus loves you, and I love you, but let's not pretend to be shocked any longer about this subject. Because it happens. And by the way, guys, our Tuesday night men's group is going to be talking about this very subject later this month with Pastor Dave. I let him do the hard lifting, the heavy lifting. But you're welcome to join them. It meets on Tuesday nights. You can sign up at the welcome desk or online. They, they talk about they, they, lots of other things, too. They don't just sit around and talk about porn all the time, okay? <laughs> but that's what they're going to hit um, later this, this month. But back, back, back to porn. What starts in the realm of fantasy winds up happening in real life. The appetite increases and increases and increases over time. And it moves from a website to a woman. A real flesh and blood woman or a man. It starts with compromise. And compromise finds its way into the church too. And it weakens us when it does. In every generation, the church and its leaders have been tempted to dilute the message of Jesus. Pastors become politicians. They become contortionists in their preaching, trying to maneuver the gospel into a more comfortable, more acceptable position, uh, a position more in alignment with 21st century values and living. And it's not always obvious when it happens. But it always starts with a desire to include more people make more people feel welcome, and that there's nothing wrong with that. The church can always, always do a better job of welcoming people. But some take it too far. They throw the baby out with the bathwater. They throw Jesus out the window, and we are all guilty. We are all guilty of that in some way. Sometimes someone will say to me, Steve, uh, you know, do me a favor. Uh, this coming weekend, and don't do any of that fire and brimstone stuff, okay? Because I've got a friend coming, and it's his first time. <laughs> and don't talk about money like you did all last month. I mean, come on. Yeah. My husband's coming, and that's a very sensitive subject for him. But, but that's not good leadership. That's bad. Leadership. Our mission as a church isn't to compromise the message of Jesus. It's, it's to preach the message of Jesus, to live it out. And too many of us increasingly are becoming pick-and-choose Christians. I'll embrace this part of Scripture, but ignore this part. So love, not wrath, and grace, not law. And because of that, um, it, it's really a question of, of leadership. That's what it becomes. Who's in charge? Am I in charge or is Jesus in charge? Because when we're in charge, we dilute. We do our best to require as little as possible from people, or if we're not that generous, at the very least, we do our best to require as little as possible from ourselves. In our imaginations, God only exists to do what we want him to do. We lead God, in other words. He doesn't lead us, and the result, we don't become the people God purposed us to be. Listen, I don't want any single one of you in this room to compromise 
when it comes to your relationship with Jesus, when it comes to your leadership over others. I want every single one of us in this room to go all in, and God willing, here's my prayer, you're not going to want to compromise either by the time we are done here today. So let's pray. Father, we welcome you here. We welcome your Holy Spirit. He has been here all morning. Satan, we rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ. We will not settle for your compromises. Satan, go away in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, speak to us today. Enlighten us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right, three points about compromise. First, Compromise always starts with deception. It always starts with deception. Let's get back to Joshua. Joshua chapter 9. The the man was on a roll as a leader. So so were the people of of Israel. It it doesn't last because in Joshua chapter 9, an enemy nation, Gibeon, seeing the writing on the wall, comes up with with a plan. They're going to save their own skins. They know Israel is coming and they want to get ahead of it. And uh, so they devise a plan, a a deception. They're going to trick Israel. Verse 3. However, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to a ruse. You should use that word in a sentence this week. Ruse. (laughs) They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wineskins, cracked and bended. The men put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. Sounds like when I went to college in Seattle. (laughs) All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. In other words, they disguised themselves. They made it, it, made it look so they were traveling a long distance, but they weren't traveling a long distance. They were next-door neighbors to Israel. Um, but that's how they made it look. They went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him, and the men of Israel, here's the deception. We have come from a distant country. Make a treaty with us. In other words, they, they just lied. I was thinking about this, trying to contextualize this. They're saying they're from a far away land. It's kind of one of those half-truths. Gibeon's not far, but it's maybe far enough. But it's sort of the modern-day equivalent. It's like uh, putting on your Facebook profile, I live in Minneapolis when I don't. I live in Ramsey. And let's be honest, there's a big difference between living in Ramsey and living in Minneapolis. One's a little bit country, and the other's a little bit rock and roll. But, but, but uh, the, the people of Gibeon lie because they know Israel is coming. They know Israel is going to defeat them. And, and while other enemy kings are forming alliances, the Gibeons, Gibeonites decide if you can't beat them, join them. But here's the problem. God told Joshua not to make any alliances with anyone, period. Didn't matter if they lived far away. Didn't matter if they lived close. No alliances. Why not? Compromise. We've talked about this. Whenever the nation of Israel moving forward doesn't destroy an enemy nation, they almost always end up adopting the lifestyle, the values, the religion of this other culture. Instead of of worshiping the one true God of Israel, they end up worshiping foreign gods. So God says, don't align yourselves with anyone. But what does Joshua do next? You got it. He makes an alliance. Makes an alliance. The, the Gibeonites deceive him. We're from a faraway land. He falls for it, hook, line, and sinker. Sinker. Bad leadership. The wrong compromises always start with deception. This will make you happy. 
This will make you complete. You don't need Jesus. What you really need is this over here. We fall for it every time. Maybe you're married and you're working at the gym and my wife doesn't appreciate me and all that nonsense. And so what do you need? You need that person over there, that person who's not your wife, checking you out. And you compromise. Satan rarely allures us with a dead fish. He allures us with a, 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 a flower, but it's a thorny flower, to quote Peter, Paul, and Mary, a classic metaphor on love. Lemon tree, very pretty. And the lemon flower is sweet, but the fruit of the poor lemon is impossible to eat. <laughs> Looks good. I need the affirmation. Thank you. <laughs> compromise starts with deception. Second, compromise starts with lack of prayer. We cut ourselves off from God, and we instead embrace the world. And that's because every leader loves to be loved. That's why, by the way, a week from Monday, we're hosting a prayer week here at the church so that we can connect with God. I would love for you to be a part of that prayer week because every single one of you is a leader and every leader needs to pray. And you say, well, why do I have to come to, to the church to pray? Because something happens in that room that we set aside for prayer. The Holy Spirit just hovers in that room. And it's like making an, an appointment with God. And you make that appointment and God shows up. But you all need something and leaders compromise when they don't pray. It just happens. That's Joshua's story. Verse 14, the men of Israel sampled their provisions, the Gibeonites, but did not inquire of the Lord. Gibeonites show up, they tell their tall tale about being from a faraway land, even though they live next door. Apparently their outfits are quite convincing, good costumes, and because of that, quote, then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live, and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. We swear to God, we promise we will never hurt you, we will align ourselves with you on my mother's grave, even though God told us not to align with anyone, we will align ourselves to you. And what's missing in the story? Again, it's prayer. Prayer. Instead of inquiring of the Lord, Joshua takes a poll. How very modern. What do you think, everybody? Yeah. Let's make this a group decision. Should we align ourselves with the Gibeonites or not? All in favor, say aye. A friend once told me, democracy gives equal voice to the wise and the fool. How true. 2 Corinthians reminds us that the devil blinds people's eyes to their need for Jesus. The God of this age, uh, it, says, it, it says, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. The God of this age is the devil. So that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. But it's, it's not always unbelievers who are blind, is it? No, believers are many times blind too. Like Joshua, sure, we, we, we've, we've won a battle or two, but that doesn't mean we're, we've won the war. We're not out of the woods yet. But we get tired, don't we? We, we? we get tired of fighting the good fight. We 
get worn down. We get sick of you know, having to swim up, upstream in, the, in a culture that's going downstream. We get sick of being the last kid picked for the dodgeball team every single time. And the solution, we say, it's compromise. I'll just be the kind of leader everybody wants. Not the kind they need. Instead of listening to Christ, we listen to culture. Instead of rejecting the world's philosophies, we embrace its philosophies. Now, please do not get me wrong. I am not suggesting a holier-than-thou stance, which is always the temptation for the Christ follower. I am not saying we need to be more judgmental. We do not. No one should ever preach a message on that. We have got that one as the body of Christ nailed down. What I am saying at the same time, leaders, is we need to quit compromising. As Christ followers, we need to be different than the world around us. We need to live in such a way, we ought to live in such a way that the unbelieving world looks at us and says, you know what, I don't always agree with that person. I'm not even sure what I think about that person's God, but there's something desirable about that person, something attainable, or not attainable, but something attractive, and it is attainable, and I, I know it feels, for so many of you, I know it feels many days like people are laughing at you. And they laugh at you many times because you're a Christian, because you go to church on the weekends. People laugh at me. You can imagine, Steve, you're such a prude. You're this, and, and you're that. But deep in their hearts, they respect you, because you don't compromise when it comes to God. You see, the spiritually compromising person reaches no one because the spiritually compromising person has nothing to offer. They're no different than the world around them. They're bitter, they're antagonistic, they're defensive, they're argumentative, they're prideful, they're lustful, they're scornful. Their values align more with the world than with Christ, but when we're prayerful, okay, that's what I'm talking about, relationship, not do this, do that, relationship. When we stay in close relationship with God, people notice. And while they may not change their opinion about God, at the very least, they will be intrigued. I got a letter this week from someone who came to our church on, on, on Christmas Eve. I, th- I met him for the first time there. I think it was the first time, but... He's he's only been here maybe a a few times at most. And in his letter, he confesses to me, quote, I'm on the fence about Jesus. He's now incarcerated, by the way. I forgot to tell you that. He's in prison. And so he wrote me this letter from prison. Beautiful letter. And, And he wrote me, basically, he said, I am not yet a believer, or at least the way some people are. He said, but Pastor Steve, I needed to hear without even knowing it what you said on Christmas. He continued, I learned last night that just because my life isn't going my way doesn't mean I have to give up. He said, I learned that I have to be receptive to God's plan for me, parentheses, even though I'm sort of on the fence about God. And I was so encouraged by that letter. I cannot tell you how his words blessed me. I sat down, wrote him back right away because God is doing something in that young man's life. And one thing I can tell you, it did not happen because we are a spiritually compromised church. I can tell you that it, it, it happened because we're not. 
Compromise always begins with lack of prayer. We leave our first love behind. We leave Jesus in the dust. Show me a person who is not living in close relationship with God, and I will show you a person who is already in trouble and who is on his way to even more trouble. It's only a matter of time. Show me a leader who is far from God, and a lot of leaders are far from God these days. He's going to be a bad leader, and he's going to make bad decisions, or she will. Now, when I talk about not compromising, I don't mean perfection, okay? You won't be perfect. You won't. The Bible clearly says if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But here's what will happen. You will increasingly have the power to live your life under the leadership of Christ, the life that pleases God. You will increasingly have the resolve to do that, to live under the leadership of God, and you'll start to change, and you will compromise less and less and less. And all of a sudden, those things that you have questioned in the Bible, one by one, will begin to make sense. And you'll say, ah, now I see the wisdom in that. Compromise always starts with deception, with lack of prayer. Finally, compromise starts with good intentions. I already hit on this. A little. You've heard the popular saying, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. It's true, I think. That's Joshua's experience. Joshua enters a bad alliance with very good intentions. Verse 26. So Joshua saved them, the Gibeonites, from the Israelites, and they did not kill them. But in doing so, here's the lesson. In doing so, in not conquering the enemy nation, like God told him to conquer the enemy nation, Joshua disobeyed God. And the nation of Israel suffered as a result, as did the Gibeonites, by the way. The truth comes out eventually, like it so often does. Joshua discovers the Gibeonites are, in fact, from a neighboring nation. They're not from a far away nation. And the only difference now is once he discovers that is Joshua can't kill them. Because the compromise has been made, the promise to protect them has been made and it's done. Verse 27, so that day he made the Gibeonites woodcutters and water carriers for the assembly of the Lord. Slaves, basically. Compromise starts with good intentions, but it rarely ends there. It ends with slavery. It did for the Gibeonites. It, it, at, at least, I'm sure in many ways, they would have rather died than been enslaved the way they were enslaved. Compromise starts with good intentions. Let me wrap up with a story. And I shared it with you a couple of years ago, and it's a very sensitive story, and it has the potential to offend. But that's not my goal. I had a friend in college, a very good friend, one of my closest friends who came out of the closet to me. We were uh, in our 20s at the time. He, he said to me, I'm gay. And as I share this story, I, like I said, I want to be sensitive. I recognize increasingly in this church, we have a number of people who share that experience. That's their battle. How, however you define it, if that's you, you consider yourself gay, you identify as gay, or lesbian. Believe me when I say, and I hope I speak for everyone in this church, I think I do. I am glad you're here. I am so glad. You matter to God. And I don't think anyone in this church, including me, 
thinks they are better than you, or thinks somehow that your struggle is way worse than theirs. But at the same time, as a church, we are not willing to compromise Scripture. And Scripture doesn't embrace same-gender sexual relationships. So keep that in mind as I tell the story. My friend says to me, I'm gay. And he goes all in. You know, some people, regardless of their orientation, are monogamous. Others are promiscuous. He was the latter. Unprotected sex with countless strangers. Countless. And so I go to him. I hop a plane. I go to California. I tell him. I remember sitting in the car. We had just seen a movie. And I say to him, stop doing what you're doing. Not because I hate you. I didn't hate him at all. I loved him. His response, no. Well, then I, 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 I countered, well, will you at the very least start attending church again? Will you come to church with me this weekend? Because he had dropped out of church, like so many do, who find themselves in that situation. It's understandable because they're wrestling with all of it and not knowing what to do. No, he responds. The church is too judgmental. The church is full of hypocrites. They'll just condemn me. Fair points. So in a moment of weakness and compromise, compromise, and it really was just that, it was very poor leadership on my part, I was desperate. I wanted to save him from himself, I wanted to rescue him from his behavior. At the very least, I wanted to rescue him from his dangerous promiscuity. I said to him, even though it goes clearly against the grain of the Bible's teaching, strongly against it, I said to him, back in my 20s, I said, why not then go to a church that embraces your lifestyle? Now, there weren't many churches back then who did that. Regrettably, there are many today. But I said to him, why not attend a church that embraces same-gender relationships, and why not try being monogamous? Because I was concerned about his health. And then you might find that difficult to believe, knowing me, those of you who know me, well, but I said that, if you can believe that, out of love. Because, despite what people think, I'm such a hard nose, you know, I am not a heartless person. And I loved my friend. But I will never forget the look on his face. It changed me, it changed the course of my life. An expression of absolute horror. Not condemning me, uh, himself rather, but condemning me. I can honestly say no one has ever looked at me that way before or since. Such huge disappointment in his eyes. He respected me so greatly, like I was an angel who had just fallen from heaven, and he said to me, Steve, you are talking out of both sides of your mouth. His name is Jeff, and I had just been preaching to him, and he was now preaching to me. This unrepentant, homosexual, whatever term we want to use, was now giving me an abstinent heterosexual, you know, sort of the poster boy of a 20-some-year-old evangelical Christian. He was now preaching me about what faithfulness means. 
and how not to compromise. And he said to me, I will never forget it. He said to me, Steve, I am not going to church with you this weekend. I may go someday, but one thing I will never do is go to a church that approves of my lifestyle in any way, shape, or form whatsoever. Never. And I just sat there in stunned silence, sitting there, seat apart, averting eye contact, convicted, ashamed about what a bad leader I had been. What a compromiser. I, I had good intentions. I wanted my friend to like me, and I wanted him to, to make better choices, but I was wrong. And he called me on it. You see, my friend knew that. He knew that my so-called solution, my compromise to the message of Jesus was an even worse idea than his current situation. Now, he did not want me reminding him about that. He did not want me preaching to him about that or nagging him. But deep in his heart, he knew because he had a relationship with Christ. He had the Holy Spirit in him. And the last thing he wanted to do was go to a church who professed Jesus, but accepted his sin. Because he saw it for what it was, a, a counterfeit message. Well, I didn't bring it up much after that. I said what needed to be said, so did he. We re remained very good friends for some time. We've lost touch now, but on his own, not through my nagging, not through my preaching, after we sort of quit hanging out together. On his own, a few years later, he reached out to me. He told me that he did walk away from that lifestyle. Slowly and painfully, it was very painful, but back to the Lord. Now don't write me, okay? I mean, if this is your struggle and you want help, write me. But don't write me if you... I, I know this isn't a narrative that's popular out there. And you can argue if you'd like, but one thing you cannot do is argue with my friend Jeff's story. The wrong compromise starts with good intentions, but it rarely leads to good things. The wrong compromise carries a consequence. It messes with our leadership and even more so with the people we are leading. So let me ask just as plainly as I can, how are you compromising these days? How are you not fully embracing the message of Jesus? Is it a personal sin? Is it a public sin? Is it a sin of omission? Meaning you're not doing something good you know you ought to do, like loving and forgiving and blessing and being less judgmental. Or is it a sin of commission? You are willfully doing something wrong like my friend did and like I was doing. Ask yourself, what are you missing? And is it worth compromising? If it means you don't become the person God purposed you to be, is it worth compromising? If it means interrupting a relationship with Jesus, compromise starts with deception. It starts with lack of prayer. It starts with good intentions, but it almost always gets in the way of helping us become these people we want to be. The world, you know, thinks it's enlightened. 
It's not. And if this message has offended you, I'm sorry, but my guess is you think you're enlightened too, at least more enlightened than Pastor Steve. And maybe you are. But believe me when I say, I'm not sharing my personal thoughts today. I'm doing my very best to share God's word with you, to share God's truth, to share what the Bible teaches. And my guess is, if you're anything like me at times, you're a little bit blind. We're all blind at times. And so what do we do? We go to God. <laughs> and we learn from Him. And we don't compromise when it comes to our leadership. Our leadership over our families, our leadership at work, our leadership over ourselves, the leadership of Jesus, we don't compromise our relationship with Christ. Jesus died for you, which means you don't have to compromise. There's room in Jesus to struggle. Everything you want, everything you need, everything you think is missing from your life. If only I had this, if only I had that can be found in him. Now, I know none of us believe that, including me. Not 100%, but it's true. And besides, leadership is generational. I don't want my kids to be blind to you. I don't want my grandkids to be blind and my great-grandkids the people under my authority, and you don't want that either. You want them to follow Jesus, which means, because we're seeing a lot of blindness out there these days, we better not compromise in our relationships with Jesus. Even when it's easier, and it does feel easier at the time to compromise. But we're not going for easy. We're going for faithful. Good leaders don't compromise on the things of God. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, we are sorry for compromising. We all have compromised. And we know what that compromise is. And by your grace, the grace you died to give us, we move forward, whatever we've done, knowing we're forgiven, knowing we're saved. Thank you that like Joshua, you spare us more often than not from the pain of our compromises. He had some pain, but not the pain he could have had. Help us not to take advantage of that. Help us not to be liberal in our freedoms. Help us to follow your leadership, not ours. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thanks for watching. I wanna let you know about three things that you can do. First, you can locate discussion questions for this message on our page so you can do some independent study or talk with a group to help you process. Then, follow us on Vimeo or iTunes so you don't miss a single message. Better yet, join us in person Saturdays at 5 p.m. or Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. Finally, if you are feeling this ministry and you wanna help advance the mission of helping people become who God purposed them to be, you can click the link to give. 
Your generosity brings hope, healing, and radical transformation to people all over the world. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.